Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. All right, good morning, everybody. If you've been watching the news this past week and the weather reports for Southern California, I think we were led to believe that today was going to be the last day on Earth. Uh, and so far, Hurricane Hillary is but a gentle breeze, uh, but maybe it'll intensify later. But nevertheless, we're all glad that you've chosen to be here. Special hello to all of you who are watching online. It's cool that technology can keep us engaged despite physical limitations. Well, as you heard from Pastor Carlo uh, today, our topic of discussion in this series that we're calling Asking for a Friend. You know, sometimes we say that because we're too embarrassed to ask for ourselves, but our topic for today is marijuana, drug use, addiction. What does the Bible have to say? I mean, does does the Bible ever really say that marijuana is wrong? Well, yeah, of, of course it does. Those of you familiar with the Old Testament know that God's people were often warned to avoid the high places. Actually, that wasn't about drug use. That was about (laughs) idol worship. Um, But you do know that in places all throughout the scripture, people got stoned. (laughs) Also not about drug use. That was about capital punishment. Um, But actually, there's a guy in the Old Testament who tried to warn the prophet Elisha of the dangers of marijuana. This is what it says in 2 Kings 4. He says, man of God, there's death in the pot. Uh, (laughs) Again, not about drug use. That verse was about soup. Uh, (laughs) Here's the reality. The Bible actually never specifically addresses marijuana or other drugs for that matter, which lead many to believe that based on that silence, it must therefore be okay. Because Jesus didn't even say anything about it. And how bad could it be if Jesus didn't even mention it? Well, friends, listen, there's a lot of things Jesus didn't mention. Jesus never used the word pedophile. Jesus never used the word abortion. Jesus never used the word pornography. In fact, Jesus never even used the word grace. But here's what's so important to understand about the teachings of Jesus and and the broader teachings of the Bible is just because a word isn't specifically used does not mean an issue isn't specifically addressed. Because the Bible addresses the core issues of life caused by sin. And while the Bible doesn't address every symptom, it does address every problem. And there's no explicit scripture about marijuana or drugs, but the Bible talks a lot about drunkenness, which by definition is intoxication. To be intoxicated means that your mental or physical capacities are diminished due to the use of a substance. And followers of Jesus are are warned throughout Scripture to avoid intoxication. I want to give you just three quick reasons of why intoxication is something that you ought to avoid. Here's the first one. Intoxication quiets God's voice. What do I mean by that? Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5. He said, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you were to read that verse in its most simplistic form, you might say, okay, I promise I will not get drunk on wine. Pass the tequila. (laughs) Okay, if that's what you got out of it, you're missing the larger point. 
And what Paul is saying is that you cannot be simultaneously controlled by a substance and controlled by the Spirit. At the moment of salvation, the moment when you surrender your life to Jesus, his Spirit, his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and lives in you. This is the voice of God speaking into your life and trying to teach those of us who've, who've surrendered to Christ what it means to live like Jesus. However, all of us possess the ability to quiet that voice out. And we're warned about this throughout Scripture. For example, Ephesians 4 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the Spirit. And then we're warned in Acts 7 not to resist the Holy Spirit. When you are intoxicated, you're doing all three. We are silencing that voice. You cannot hear from God if you are under the control of a substance. And the longer you quiet God's voice in your life, the more trouble you will incur. That's the first reason why we should avoid into intoxication. Here's another one. Intoxication, not only does it quiet God's voice, but it also lowers your defense. Friends, there's enough temptations out there in the world. We don't need to make it easier to fall into them. You see, when you are intoxicated, it's like lowering the drawbridge to your castle and just inviting the enemy to walk right in. You're lowering your defense. And guess what? Science agrees. Citing marijuana as an example, the Journal of Addictive Addiction Medicine said this, cannabis use has been shown to impair cognitive functions on a number of levels, such as the ability to plan, organize, solve problems, make decisions, remember, and control emotions and behavior. And the even more potent drugs have a stronger effect. This is why the Apostle Peter warned believers this in 1 Peter 5. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have an adversary in Satan who is hell-bent on taking you down. And that's why Peter says, be alert, be, be sober. What is sober? It's the opposite of intoxication. It's focused. It's clear-headed. It's on guard. If the police send out a bulletin that there was a violent criminal in your neighborhood and your family could be at risk, is that a good time to get drunk or high? No, you'd be on guard. You want, to, you want to protect your family. It's the same thing with the enemy. He's coming for you. And when you're, you're, you're drunk or, or stoned or whatever, you make yourself even more vulnerable to his attacks. But when you're on guard, you stand a chance to fight. So Christians should avoid intoxication because it quiets God's voice. It lowers your defense. Here's one more. It prevents true love. True love, by biblical definition, is doing what's best for someone else. Unfortunately, our culture has twisted the definition to, of true love to doing what's best for me. And if you really love me, you'll agree with everything that I want to do. That is the exact opposite of the teachings of the Bible. Listen again to what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. Philippians 2 he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
He continues saying, not looking into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What's that mindset? Verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't doing what was best for him. He was doing what was best for us by dying in our place and paying our debt so that we don't have to spend an eternity apart from him. He gave his own life. That's true love. That's doing what's best for someone else. However, when you are intoxicated, you are practicing utter selfishness because you're not thinking about anybody but yourself. And if you spend a lifestyle like that, you'll never really experience what it means to care and love for somebody else. You know, sometimes I hear people who are, who are intoxicated say, I'm not hurting anybody. Man, look around. Take a look at your family and friends. I mean, how many tears have been shed by mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives over your choices? How many hours and dollars have been spent cleaning up after your intoxications, comforting crying children, you know, fixing crashed cars, pleading with angry bosses, paying court fees and medical expenses? You're not hurting anybody? How about you? Aren't you somebody? Friends, listen, when you are intoxicated, you're missing an opportunity to truly love like Jesus loved. You know, these issues are just a part of it intoxication, self-medication, but there's larger issues of addiction, even things that stretch beyond drugs and alcohol. And so for that, I wanted to sit down and talk with somebody this morning who's been through the fires when it comes to drug use and addiction. And so I've invited one of our staff pastors who has this in his past. You've actually heard from him already, so I'm gonna ask Pastor Carlo to come up on stage and join me at this time. So let's welcome Pastor Carlo. Thank you, Pastor Steve. All right, brother. So for those who don't know who you are, say your, your name, how long you've been coming to Sunrise, and what your role is here. Well, my first time coming to Sunrise was back in 1999, and I may have come here high. <laughs> I just can't remember. But uh, since then, I've received Christ, and he's done a great work in me, and I am now a pastor, obviously, and our discipleship pastor at the Rialto campus. And your name is Carlo, not Carlos. Yes, correct. So wow. if I don't correct you the first time, you know me as Carlos. <laughs> Learn something new every day, right? Right. Uh, so at the, at the lowest point for you in the midst of your, your addictions, what kind of drugs were you doing? Well, at the rock bottom, it definitely included meth, methamphetamines, that really started to unravel everything that, that uh, I, I thought I could hold together. Uh, but that was an addiction. The other drugs, I, I mean, I was just so, so loose in that sense that I thought I used them for recreation. But the, the list, it, it's pretty long, but it includes acid or LSD, uh, mushrooms, not the type you buy at the grocery store, uh, cocaine, ecstasy. I've even huffed uh, Freon from a air conditioner, uh, nitrous oxide, I mean, just a bunch of really silly and, and harmful substances. Okay, so that was at your worst, but what about your first? Where, where did all of this begin for you? How old were you? 
Well, I was in, in middle school. If you include alcohol, I had uh, shared a six-pack with, with a, a buddy uh, in, in middle school, and, and it really didn't, you know, start to do too much at that point. But I remember the summer of, uh, before entering high school, we were at a family function, and uh, the cousins all kind of, you know, left the party and, and just took a walk around the block, and I was among them. And one of them pulled out a joint and took that hit, and... Ten years into it, 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 yeah, it started a, a, a vicious, vicious cycle of addiction. And so I'm sure you hear, as I do, marijuana is not that big of a deal. As somebody who's walked through this, how, how would you respond to that, especially looking back over your life? First off, I would say I understand why people would say that. Because unlike alcohol, where, you know, you've probably heard of the term a violent drunk, Right? Uh, when you smoke weed, you're pretty subdued, right? Sometimes you just want to watch a movie, right? Uh, listen to music, and, and, and you might seem like you're not hurting anybody, as, as you mentioned, uh, and, and it's not a big deal, uh, but it is a big deal because in my experience and, and, and many, many, many others that I've talked with, it's, quote-unquote, a, a gateway drug, right? And some people don't buy into that, but that was my experience, and it led to harder drugs and, and so many other things, so harming myself and my God-given potential. I mean, looking back, I, I, I just, I can't believe that, that I was robbed of all those years and, and just taking others on that same journey, whether they wanted to or not, and... and it can be deadly as well. You talked about with, with uh, that Elisha passage, you know, death in the pot. There is literally death in the pot today. A few decades ago, it was laced with angel dust. Nowadays, it can be laced with fentanyl. And, and we probably all read a headline or two about uh, how that can be just kind of a crapshoot or playing Russian roulette. You just don't know these days what you're consuming. And it's not like... Once you're intoxicated, you're, you're better at, you know, filtering what, what substances you're, you're getting. And, and I've even known people from high school that they, they never snap back, hmm. right? They, they use once, and again, they were never the same. And one of my good friends uh, going into harder drugs uh, is a schizophrenic to, to this day. Hmm. So it is harmful. And... The side of it that you mentioned, the, the family members, mm. oh, it breaks my heart to think of what I put my mom and my dad through. Mm. And then the friends that I had at that time, their parents as well, you know, they, they saw me as one of their own sometimes. And uh, literally, they were worried sick. Mm. So I'm not hurting anybody. It's no big deal. It sounds like there's a couple of lies that you begin to deceive yourself with. What were some of the other lies that you believed? Well, the first one I can think of is that everybody's doing it, mm. right? And it seems that way because I'm surrounded by people who do it. That, that's my lifestyle. That's my circle. We all do drugs. And so it seems that way. And then even the entertainment that I consume, whether it's the music or, or what I allow my, my mind to see and the culture, the, the, right, the, the glamorous side of it. It's like, oh, everyone's doing it. And of course, that's not true. And the other lie is, it, it kind of goes to the question you asked previously, it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. right? It's not like I'm slamming heroin 
Yeah. Right? I, I got a job. I'm going to school. You know, I'm a functioning yeah, that, drug that's, user. That's one, that's one of those lies where you can always compare, compare yourself to somebody worse. You know, like, yeah, I got a, a, a life sentence in prison, but at least I'm not on death row. You know, <laughs> there's always someone worse you could find, you know, and so, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, and then the, the lie that helped me, I know that sounds funny, uh, the lie that I believed was I can stop at any time. And so when I decided to try to stop, I realized, uh-oh, that's not true, that I am truly addicted to meth, again, as I mentioned, was one of the stronger addictions, and I would go on binges, and it just came out of control, and when I tried to, to stop that from continuing, I would go for a while, but I would find myself back on the ride, and when I wanted to get off that ride, I couldn't. So that, that was an eye-opener for me. And when you finally surrendered your life to Christ by faith, what changes began to occur in your life? Well, I would say part of it was a process. Some examples or instances were like miraculous overnight things. But as I was ready to surrender and then say, I need help. I, I can't do this on my own. I, I can't quit. I'm truly addicted. Things that you have to humble yourself to, to uh, get to those thoughts and, and, and say those things and share that with others. But once that happened, God started to orchestrate not just events, but people. He would bring certain people into my life where they would just point me to the next direction of, of getting more of God through his word and, and being surrounded by his people versus, you know, the friends I used to have and I still love the friends uh, that I used to have, but I wasn't ready to be in that environment and not use. And so part of it was providing a new atmosphere for me and then just the power to not desire those things. That, that, what, that's what I believe was a su the supernatural aspect of it was, again, in, in one case, overnight, the desire was gone and, and it started with a prayer. But I know... There are others that it's a lifelong process, and, and that's understandable. Well, we're thankful that the Lord broke the chains in your life as he has for many in this very room. He really does uh, transform people. Well, let's get to the questions that have been submitted. Uh, here's the first one. What about medicinal marijuana any different than regular meds? Uh, of course, the medicinal marijuana is bound to come up in this conversation. Uh, what would you say about that, Pastor Carlo? So, uh, you know, I, I would be lying if I said that marijuana doesn't have some type of healing properties, right, for a lack of a better term, because it, it does alleviate certain things. It gives you an appetite, right? so uh, it, you know, it makes you feel a certain way, and so I, I've known people over the years that have come to me and said, you know, I, I smoke to alleviate this, this pain, and you know, that's a hard conversation to have, and, and they're saying, am I in sin? And, and so there is that aspect to it, but I would even add, is that the only way? Mm -hmm. Is that the only remedy? Mm -hmm. right? are, are you doing this as an excuse? And I had other friends who were like, I got my card. I'm like, they were so excited. I'm like, what are you talking about? Basically, my above-the-law card <laughs> to, to purchase weed and, and to that be uh, busted if, if they got caught with it. And so motivation, I think, in a word, is, is big. Yeah, motivation is huge. And there's even division 
in the research community of just how much you know the, the non-THC marijuana really does help. And some people might say, well, how is it any different than, say, a prescription narcotic that somebody takes to recover from a knee surgery, for example? And uh, you know, the reality, I think the difference between when you're talking about medical narcotics versus the recreational kind is you're dealing with a higher level of accountability. You have doctors that are meeting with you that are saying, here's an amount, uh, here's the side effects, here's how long to take it, you know, get up. There's a, a definite different level of accountability. But those things, even doctor-prescribed narcotics have a high likelihood of uh, addiction if you don't. And sure. so I know of a lot of people who have chosen to stay away from those and deal with the pain, uh, similar to what the Apostle Paul experienced when he dealt with this thorn in the flesh. And he said, three times I, I prayed that God would take it away, and he wouldn't. And his conclusion was, your grace is sufficient for me. Uh, your power is made perfect in my weakness. And so some people have chosen the path of the Apostle Paul with the thorn in the flesh and saying, I'd rather deal with the pain than have the likelihood of addiction staring down my face. But uh, I think that you've got to really check your motivation and exhaust other options before you start going down that road, for sure. I agree. Right. Let's see what else has uh, come through. Is there a balance in drinking, smoking weed, and the relationship with God I can have? Um, yeah, you know, sometimes it's tough to understand quite the, the motivation of a, of a person who's asking this, so thank you for whoever submitted this question. Uh, this question does come in a variety of different kinds of ways that I've, I've heard over the years, and one of them is, where's the line? How far can I go before it's too far? And unfortunately, the answer to that question is, after you cross the line, you say, oh, five steps back that way. That's where the line was. Um, but I think it's probably getting around the issue of moderation. Sure. You know, uh, you can... You could drink, say, a glass of wine and not be drunk, but I've never been drunk, I've never smoked weed, but what, what's been your experience with kind of the issue of moderation? Can, can you take marijuana in moderation? In my experiences, you could, back in the day when the weed was low grade and you had more seeds than weed in your bag, but these days, the, the content level, uh, the potency of of marijuana and the strains that they've created in, in laboratories, uh, it's just too strong, right? And, and so as soon as you consume weed, whether you take a, a hit from a, a bong or a blunt or whatever method, consuming it and, and, and edibles, I think it's just too powerful to, to not be... To, to not be influenced in a way where your you're in control. Mm. And uh, so I would say the same with drinking. Uh, you know, if you take a sip of beer, it might not do anything to you, but if you take a shot of hard liquor, right, there's that immediate, that, that immediate impairment, that immediate effect. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what this person is, is trying to do when they consume alcohol or weed, or maybe it's asking for a friend. Uh, but I think it, it, again, boils down to why. Why are you wanting to drink? Why are you wanting to smoke? Uh, is it something that, is, is, is there a void there, right? And it, it can get really tricky, and self-deception, I, I think, is uh, an easy conclusion. If we try to say that, oh, I, I can do this and God is cool with it, uh, I think in that case, we might be making a God of our own, right? Mm -hmm. Idolatry, right? To say that God's cool with this when in his word, 
I believe that he's not, and it's even in the list in Galatians under the work of the flesh, uh, under, you know, idolatry, or some translations say witchcraft, sorcery, in the Greek pharmakia, but it has to do with intoxication mm. and having your mind altered, uh, and uh, to one of your points, it really is kind of opening a, a uh, dimension or, 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 or a portal for, for other voices excluding the truth of God, right, to speak in and, and the deception to, 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 to be able to buy into that and not think about it. Yeah, I think of the words of James 1 when he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What is it that's drawing you to these things? Because if you're really wanting a relationship with Christ, that's surrendering every day and saying, God, I'm trying to die to myself. Please help me do what you want me to do. I can tell you right now, these things are not what God wants you to do. He wants you to have a life that is purposeful and meaning that represents him well, and these things will harm that. And so if you're truly trying to be like Christ, I don't, I don't believe this is, this is a path that you want to be going down. Yeah, second that. Let's see, uh, this one says, how do I help my kids stay away from drugs? So you were a middle schooler when you started mm -hmm. going down this road. Um, if you could go back into, I mean, now you're a parent of middle schoolers, All right? right. Um, how old are your kids? My oldest is 11, my youngest is six, my two girls are eight and nine. And I've got kids at uh, 16, nine, and five. Um, so what could somebody have done with you that could have helped? Well, I believe my parents love me, I really do but I don't think they were equipped or prepared. Uh, the, I mean, it just wasn't on their radar to, to think that, oh, you know, my, my son is, is going to get involved in drugs and, and it's going to lead him down this road. And so I, I think part of it is just being aware of the fact that this is out there and healthy conversation need, needs to be had. And so that wasn't the case at home. And, and so even... Did you ever talk with your parents about this stuff? Gee, the only time we talked about our drug use was when there were experiences where it was out of control, like just, have, just pushing the envelope so far where, you know, we're, we're breaking the law, we're committing crimes, where, you know, the police are So a few rare involved. extreme situations. Yes, and so to the point where it's like, okay, we have to talk about this. You know, why did the cops, you know, raid our house. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, the, you can't just sweep that one under the rug, right? So, but those conversations only happen in, in, as, a, as needed, right, uh, in a strange sense. But yes, I think to answer this question, just having those conversations, being a parent that, that sets the atmosphere of, of it's, this is a safe place, right? Not to say, hey, you know, um, I just, you know, rolled up a a joint you want to smoke, right? I mean, not, not saying that, but saying if you have any questions about anything, we can have a conversation about it, and you don't need to hide that, and, and you don't need to feel ashamed because, right, that's something you were exposed to, so. Yeah, I think creating regular rhythms in your home in which you're having conversations about these things when they're not a problem, uh, when they're not a, it's right. not a reaction is, is huge. You know, I remember... Um, my son was, was going to school, and, and a friend was uh, doing shrooms, and he's telling my son about these shrooms and how he's, 
you know, he's even experienced God in these things. And there's even people out there who are like, you should take this because you can experience God in these, these ways. God wants us to experience him through a variety of ways, mostly through his word and through his people. You don't have to do shrooms to experience God. That's a complete twisting of life. But I actually had to have a conversation with my son when he's going to go hang out with this kid and say, hey, if you are offered shrooms, what are you going to do? And at first he's like, oh, I'm not going to take them. I'm like, hey, what's the plan? What, what are you going to say? This is what I want you to do. If, if that ever happens, I want, let's talk about this. And it was kind of like, you know, he didn't really want to talk about it. I was like, no, we're talking about this. I want to know what the plan is. And you call me right away, even if you have to blame me, like, oh, my dad is, is such a pain and he's wanting me to come home. I'm like, blame me if you have to, but we got to get you out of that situation, you know. And even hearing you talk about how environment impacts so much, who are your kids spending time with? And, you know, you talked about, too, but it's part of your story not just the environment of people you were around, but also kind of the, the pop culture stuff that mm -hmm. was consuming your life was contributed to your struggle oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, that is such a, an influence, right? Music, and, and again, the, the friends. Uh, but going back to, to this question, you have to know who the friends are of, of your kids because as hard as this is to, to say, they probably have a bigger influence on your kids than you do, mm. right? Especially in the teenage years. They're going to listen to them, depending on how well you've, again, created that, that relationship or fostered that relationship. But yeah, and then music. I, I just can't stress that enough. Our, 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 the, the media, it's just so influential that they are going to, that's just going to be such a loud voice in their life. And they're, they're just sitting ducks if we don't do that, take that proactive measure to say, hey, this is going to happen. I remember one topic uh, that uh, I shared with uh, my, my kids, uh, and I was just saying, do you, do you know about this? Right? And they're like, oh, yeah, Dad. It's like, gee, like, how come I don't know? Right? And so they're learning a lot more about the things that we're scared to talk about. Yeah, someone's going to fill that space if exactly. you don't, you know. And in Deuteronomy 6, it talks, this, this great passage from the Old Testament, where it talks about, you know, teach your children and when you're on the road and all, it has these great passages of, you know, put them on the doorposts mm -hmm. of your home about really having the law of the Lord be a part of your family. But it starts before all that, it says that the law of the Lord needs to be on your heart. And so moms and dads, if you're hitting that blunt and then telling <laughs> your kids not to, hello, it starts in the mirror. Uh, and if you're wanting your kids to practice moderation, it better be happening at home uh, in your own life, too. Um, yeah. Okay, let's see. I think, uh, let's see. Jesus turned water into wine. Why is weed worse than drinking? Uh, <laughs> interesting question. Uh, well, the miracle they're referring to is Jesus was at a wedding. And uh, this is actually his first miracle when Jesus turned water into wine. Um, and uh, it's also important to remember that in those times, water was a lot of times not good for drinking. They had to drink wine because it, it, was, it was able to cleanse it so they're not getting sick. Um, but Jesus wasn't trying to get people drunk. He was, uh, he was in that moment uh, exercising his, his, his power to help his, uh, his own family not be embarrassed over this, this particular situation. But why is weed worse than drinking? What would you say to that? I, I, and the question itself is saying, is, why is weed worse? I don't think it's necessarily worse, right? I think they can be on similar footing as far as being destructive, mm. right? If you are a slave to 
any substance or anything, right? There, there's countless things you can be addicted to that even are culturally acceptable in, in Christianity. Uh, if that is consuming you, then it can go down a path and, and it can destroy your life, mm-hmm. right? Alcohol can destroy your life. Marijuana can destroy your life. Food can destroy your life. Materialism can destroy your life. So it's not a matter of what's worse. It's a matter of will I be mastered by this? Yeah, that's the verse I was thinking too. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Uh, I will not be mastered by anything. And, you know, the conversation often shifts to, well, what about overeating? Um, you know, that seems to be less of a sin than, than getting high. No, they're, they're all wrong. Uh, you know, as we say, all sin is equal in its offense, but not all sin is equal in its consequence. So, for example, if you are addicted to food and you eat a, a lot, that will increase heart risk in your life. There are some people who are having toes chopped off because of their diabetes. They're not taking care of themselves. That's a very different kind of consequence than somebody who's getting intoxicated. But as we talked about, um, more and more studies are coming out of even marijuana's uh, effect of increasing anxiety in a person's life, which is this vicious cycle of, I smoke pot to stay calm, but it's actually <laughs> making me more anxious, and so I have to keep doing it. Uh, you know, and so it's not that one is worse than the other. There's some people who have a credit card sitting in front of Amazon, and they can't stop buying, and your house is filled with this stuff, and you're behind in your bills. It's another kind of addiction, and, and you're not supposed to be mastered by anything. And so if you are somebody who is facing any kind of addiction, uh, what do we do with that? We, we have to bring it to Christ. Uh, we have an amazing support group here at Sunrise called Celebrate Recovery. Tell people about that who, who, who might not know. Yeah, so at the Rialto campus, we have a team that, that leads that, and they meet every Tuesday at 6.30. And sometimes people think, oh, Celebrate Recovery, that, that's only if you know, I'm an alcoholic or I'm addicted to you know, hard drugs. But as you mentioned, it's for every hurt and hang-up and habit that, that is ungodly and destructive, right? And so you talked about the, you know, the materialism piece of it, the, the uh, food, even our own thinking, like our, our uh, attitudes that maybe cause us to delve into depression. So the, the list goes on and on. And so if there's something in your life, and I believe God is so faithful to reveal those things, to, to point those out in a gentle manner, that uh, you can go and, and get help, but for, like for, I did, th- there has to come a point of surrender and humility to just say, mm-hmm. th- this is a problem. Yeah, just like environment plays such a key part in addiction, environment also plays a key part in recovery. Amen. You got to have some people in your life who walk in the, through the fire with you. You know, another one of our staff pastors has been through this struggle. His name is Eric Wade. He leads our Banning Campus, and he wanted to share his story with us this morning. Let's take a look. Uh, my name is Pastor Eric Wade. I am the campus pastor for our Banning campus. Just before I was two years old, my mother had passed away uh, from a rare disease, and that took my father from being a uh, drug user on the weekend to a full-blown addict. When I was about 13 years old, my dad came to a point where he could no longer take care of me as I was being a latchkey kid. So he told me to pack up my things and go live with my grandmother. 
being from that environment and, and going through that trauma of not understanding why uh, God chose to take my mother away from me, why my dad had the lifestyle that he did, I began to turn to drugs to try to ease the pain, to try to uh, get away from reality. So in junior high, I found myself reverting to that, uh, getting very into marijuana as often as I could. And as that began to fill the void a little bit, it, it took more and more to begin to, to, to quench that thirst, to quench that hunger. I remember being in eighth grade on the bus and there was a couple of my friends snorting meth and they offered it to me. And as badly as I wanted to say yes to it because I knew that would do the job that I was so desperate looking for, I rejected it because I knew that was what took my dad. That, that was my low point. I just felt lonely, I felt lost, I felt depressed. I was ready to give up, I was ready to run away. I didn't like the home that I was in. I didn't, I didn't want to go back to my father, but I just didn't know what to do. I got connected with the church and met a youth pastor who uh, invested in me. I told him I was gonna run away and he invited me to his home. He said, we'd figure out school, we'd figure out all that, but don't go on the streets. And so he, he asked me if I wanted to accept Christ, and I said, I really don't. He said, why? I said, I know I need to. I know that I know I need the Savior. You've been telling me about this love and this hope and this joy and this peace that I can have through a relationship with Christ, but the reality of it is I did enjoy the drugs. And, and he made the comment, Eric, don't, you don't have to give up your drugs. Come to Christ and let him work in and through you. And so I did. I gave my life to Christ. And the moment I prayed that prayer, the moment that I accepted Christ in my, into my life, I felt the peace, the hope, the joy, the comfort that I've been searching in drugs, sex. I was digging into the Word. I was always at church, and I just was, was experiencing this new life. A few months down the road after that, though, I had a relapse. Um, I was at my my brother's home, and uh, we, his neighbor was really into drugs, and he had offered me uh, something to smoke. And I stupidly said, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm almost positive it was laced with something that um, I had never experienced before. I started having hallucinations. I saw kids from school driving around in the desert talking to me, but I knew they weren't there. And so I remember crying out to God saying, God, if you get me out of this, I will never, ever, ever touch drugs again. And in that moment, there was an apartment complex right next to where I was standing, and there was a young lady on the balcony, and she said, hey, kid, are you okay? I remember saying, I think so. And I remember thinking, man, all this time I've been searching for a peace, I've been searching for a hope, I've been searching for validity, I've been searching for a purpose, and I found it in Christ, and I knew I found it in Christ, and yet I still went and looked for these things that I knew I would never find it in. And so from that moment on, I, I never, never went back, and I dug deeper and deeper in my walk with Christ, and it is by far been the best, best decision I've ever made. The way that Pastor Eric concluded that testimony is he said it was a decision, a decision that he had to make. And it's a decision that we all have to make. We can either say, okay, God, I agree. I'm going to say yes to you and no to everything else that I've been trying to pretend isn't a problem. And when he did, he found what he was looking for. That's one of the things that, as I look back on, on my experience and, and my journey 
with drug addiction and drug abuse. It's what I was looking for. I was looking for acceptance. I, I was looking for a, a purpose. I was looking for a community. And, and you can find all of that and so much more in Christ. And so if you're ready, and, and you have to be ready, if you're not ready, then as much as it pains me to say it, I don't recommend it. Keep going down the road that you know God doesn't want you to go down to. And then when, when you realize that, okay, I have humbled myself and, and I'm ready to receive Christ and now I believe, then you can have your moment. If you have your moment. The good news is today I'm going to give you a moment. Today I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ if you're ready. And here's the thing. If you want it to be a lasting transformation, don't receive Christ necessarily because of the person you're sitting next to. Don't receive Christ because of the person that you know you've been hurting through your actions. Receive Christ because he's worthy. That's how you're going to be transformed. Because he died on a cross for you in your place so you can be fully forgiven of every sin you've committed, whether it has to do with drug addiction or not. But once you come to that point to say, I receive Christ because of how much he loves me, then I guarantee you, if that's your motivation, if that's your inspiration, if that's the reason why you want to pray right now, you will be a new person. And you will have the power to overcome not just drugs, not just addictions, but anything. Amen? With every eye closed, every head bowed, and every heart open, this is between you and God. And say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm tired of running and hiding and pretending. Right now, I surrender all. I come as I am. And I believe that Jesus died for me on that cross so I can be forgiven and so I can be empowered. I receive him as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Please lead me this day and for the rest of my life to live for you and for you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we definitely want to know about it. For those online, let them know that you received Christ. For those in the room, remember... 
fill this out, check that box, I said yes to Jesus, and we're going to reach out to you, and we're going to help you take those steps, because you might falter, you might go back and, and have a relapse, but it doesn't mean you stop following Christ, it just means there's some adjustments that need to be made. And then for all of us who have received Christ, and maybe have been battling with some of the things that were discussed, some, some, some of the things that were kind of presented in clear-cut fashion, and you might be saying, well, I'm not entirely sure just yet. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would speak to you and reveal his truth to you, that the lies of the enemy would be silenced, and you could come away knowing the truth. And again, since you are in Christ, you'll have the power to make that decision. And then we'll be taking an offering as well, and I want to just pray that God would use that to continue to spread his love, his truth, and his gospel here at Sunrise. So join me in prayer as our ushers come up. Father, we thank you again for all the life change and all the transformation that we know as a church. I've heard of countless stories, including my own, where you have intervened, you have stepped in, you have transformed people that have come from a, a lifestyle that is even harder than, than what I've shared. And so you have the power to change lives and to change hearts, and so we thank you for that. And if there's anyone here that, that's wrestling with, with this subject, I pray that you would speak to them in this moment and, and even, again, bring them to a place of humility and reveal your truth to them and give them the faith to trust that your way is better. And then, Father, for the offerings and the tithes that are being given as an act of worship to you, would you bless those who are worshiping you in that manner, and would you bless these resources to reach so many that are still out there in darkness, still out there enslaved to sin. And so thank you for doing both of those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.